Well, we began a series last week, The Promise of Christmas, and we talked, sorry, uh, opened that series talking about hope. And uh, as Scotty has already alluded to, uh, today we will be discussing peace. And so I appreciate him finding all of those songs that helped us to easily uh, focus and be aware of peace. But I mentioned to one of our elders last Sunday, after uh, our morning uh, gathering, and then... uh, It came up during our small group gathering on Sunday evening uh, because somebody brought up Advent. And so I made the comment that, well, yeah, Advent is inspired this uh, series uh, that we're going to be undertaking uh, from now until Christmas. And so... uh, And so I had several... I was kind of surprised that others brought up Advent. Uh, And then I uh, was even further surprised that Sunday night I had a handful of people say, we really wish you would explain Advent to us because we hear about it and we think that would be helpful. And of course, I hadn't planned on talking about Advent because we're not a liturgical bunch. Uh, We are not people who follow the liturgical calendar. And uh, and so I was even a little concerned that if I brought it up, that some people might be a little put off by it. And so uh, I thought it was it was surprising uh, that that so many people seemed interested. And so I am going to take a few minutes now, and here we go. Uh, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. So if you just add the letters U.S. to the, to the word Advent, uh, you get the Latin phrase Adventus, which simply means to come. And so, and so uh, it, it signifies the coming of Christ, that the, the arrival of the long-awaited Christ or Messiah. And if you see here the slide on the screen, uh, it says that it's a season of hope and expectation. Advent is about expectation or anticipation. It's about waiting. You think about how long God's people had to wait until the arrival of the promised Messiah. And if you can see the the names, uh, the words on the candles, hope, peace, joy, and love. And so during Advent, which is typically four Sundays leading up to Christmas, then there is a Sunday where you celebrate hope. There's a Sunday for peace, joy, and love. And so that is what we will be doing on each of these four Sundays. I was simply going to preach on hope, peace, joy, and love and not mention all this other stuff. But again, I I was... uh, you know, happy to to explain uh, what is going on here with Advent because it is a term that I know that some of you all hear uh, outside of this body, and so uh, Advent uh, is a season on what's called the liturgical calendar. Now. Some people are bugged by the liturgical calendar because they say, hey, it's not in the Bible. Well, when you get right down to it, neither is vacation Bible school. Neither is Sunday school. There's lots of things that we do uh, that are not in the Bible. 
Uh, and so that silence is not prohibitive. There's nothing in the Bible that says, you know, on the first Thursday of every December, gather and give out hot chocolate to the masses in the community. But we do it. And I've even told the story of doing Bible study in the jail some years ago and a guy saying, oh, I know your church. Y'all are the ones that give out hot chocolate at the Christmas parade. And I said, yeah, that's us. And so, uh, and so the idea of the liturgical calendar is that people would follow different seasons and it, uh, it actually... Uh, they follow what's called the Revised Common Lectionary, and that means that over a three-year period, they will go through the entire Bible. And so if you have a preacher that, that likes to preach on certain things, and so you hear certain things over and over, well, those churches that, that uh, follow the, the, the Revised Common Lectionary, then they're going to have different readings and, and lessons from different parts of the Bible. And so you're going to be exposed to the entire entirety of Holy Scripture over that three-year period. That's kind of what they're going for. Now, uh, you wonder what this word liturgical means. It's an adjective, and it means relating to liturgy or public worship. Public worship, like we're doing right now. It's really nothing more, more than that. And so if you wonder, well, what now exactly is this liturgy we speak of? Uh, I'm just going to read the definition on the screen. You can read along with me. Liturgy is the customary public worship performed by a religious group like us, especially by a Christian group. Liturgy represents a communal response to and preparation in and participation in, excuse me, that which is sacred through activities reflecting praise, thanksgiving, remembrance, supplication, or repentance. Now, doesn't that describe what we do every Sunday morning? That we come together as a group, as a Christian group, and we participate in sacred activities. We participate in activities that reflect praise. We've done that, haven't we, this morning, church? We've praised God in our songs this morning. Uh, we have offered thanks. Uh, we have gathered around this table and Steve led our thoughts in a time of remembrance. Supplication is one of those what I call church words. And if you don't know what supplication is, well, trust me, you've done it. Okay, if you've ever prayed for someone's health, okay, that's supplication. The, the definition of supplication is to ask for something earnestly or humbly. And isn't that what we do when we go to God in prayer? Especially when we're asking for something like someone that we love to be healed. Okay, that is a prayer of supplication. We are humbling ourselves before the Almighty Father. And what we are doing in that moment is we are asking earnestly. I've been asking earnestly... Uh, that my father-in-law get to come home from the hospital. Several of you have asked about him this morning. He's been in there now since Thanksgiving Day. So it's what now we got day ten, day eleven. I'm losing track here, but but uh, and I know the Jones family uh, is uh, would love to see Matthew get to come back home again after his brief stay at home after such a long hospital stay. 
And so when we ask God uh, to heal people that we love, then we are participating in supplication. And so let me just say, no, we're not turning into Catholics. Uh, I'm doing this because I, I was asked to, to help explain some of this. And... Uh, and it's not just the Catholics. Uh, the Methodist Church back here uh, follows uh, the liturgical calendar, and they celebrate Advent. Uh, there's another season on the, on the liturgical calendar that is well known or mentioned by a lot of people, and that is the season of Lent in the spring. And just as Advent prepares Christians, or is intended to pre- prepare Christians for Christmas, Lent is intended to prepare Christians to celebrate the resurrection at Easter. And if you ever wonder when Lent is starting, and I'm not kidding about this, uh, just notice when all the fast food restaurants start offering fish sandwiches. Because uh, it is tradition that you don't eat meat on Fridays during Lent. And so, and so that's why uh, the, the fast food places, they may not offer fish sandwiches any other time of the year. But Arby's, Wendy's, everybody is offering and advertising on television and the radio, hey, we've got fish sandwiches. Now, if you ever wonder why fish on Fridays became a big deal. We've got a restaurant just a few blocks north of here that doesn't have fish any other day of the week, but they have them on Fridays. And that is the influence of the liturgical calendar in our everyday life. Now, and it comes from the idea that somewhere along the way, somebody decided that, well, we're not supposed to eat meat, but we can have fish. Really? Fish is not meat. I kind of think it is. Okay, but that's what Christians do. They kind of do an end around the rules because a day without meat is just a sad day entirely for many of us. And so, and so that is how uh, something that you may never have heard of until this morning, but you've heard of fish on Fridays. And so that just shows you uh, at how something has had an influence on our life and our culture, even though we're not a community that has a lot of mainline Protestants. The Methodist Church is it. We're not a, a, a community that has a lot of a, a big Catholic population. Uh, but yet, there, there is an influence on that. And so you wonder who the mainline Protestant churches are. Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Episcopal, uh, uh, Lutheran are the ones off the top of my head. I may have left a couple of, of them out, but that's basically who we're talking about. We, in turn, in the churches of Christ, fall under the umbrella or the category of what would be called evangelicals. And so uh, the difference between mainline Protestants and evangelicals, that's a whole story for another day. But that, in a nutshell, is... Uh, is what uh, Advent is and it, it helps us understand a little about the liturgical calendar and this season that inspired this sermon series, The Promise of Christmas. Now Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom 
also he created the world. And so the Hebrews writer here, opening this letter to to this group of people, this group of Hebrew Christians, opens it with saying, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And that's what we're going to look at this morning for a little bit, church, is look at some of what the prophets foretold about Jesus. And so we're talking about peace. And I'm just curious, how many of you have noticed this morning that one side of the stage has more poinsettias than the other? Okay, well we're going to pray for y'all. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, that was not done intentionally. Uh, it just turned out that the, the preacher went and bought poinsettias, and then if you notice, there's one out in the lobby, and it's got gold foil on it instead of, instead of green, because I brought them in from the car and started setting them on the stage, and I think, whoa, one of these things doesn't look like the others. And so I sat out in the lobby, and I went back to Walmart, and then I couldn't come up with enough to fill the stage the way I wanted to, and I thought, well... We're going to make a sermon object lesson out of this somehow. And so, and for, for some of you this morning, you just happen to notice that, hey, we're a little off balance this morning, no big deal. Now, to some of you, there may be a couple of you that are actually bothered by that, okay? And, uh, okay, okay, we have one husband pointing to his wife up front here. Won't mention any names, but Jill, that's a lovely red sweater. Uh, and so, and so, yeah, it, it, it bothers you. And so, because it bothers you, you have an absence of peace, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's certain things that can disrupt us or bother us. And so, in that moment, because of that, it's hard for us to really be at peace. And so, what we're talking about this morning is the Prince of Peace. And uh, Jesse uh, read the, uh, uh, the verse from Isaiah that we hear so often at Christmas time. It's so often on Christmas cards. Uh, you know, some of the names of Jesus. Wonderful Counselor and uh, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And we look at what some of the prophets now foretold about this Prince of Peace. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. From Hosea chapter 11 verses 1 and 2, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. From Numbers chapter 24 verse 17, a star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. What is a scepter? It's what the ancient kings would hold, right church? And uh, this from Psalm 72.10, May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. 
May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. From Jeremiah 31 verse 15, this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted uh, because her children are no more. And so then we arrive at Matthew chapter 1. There has been a time of about 400 years between the writings of some of these prophets and when we arrive uh, at the birth of Christ. And so here we are uh, in Matthew chapter 1, the very early part of New Testament Scripture. And I want us to begin with verse 20 because this is picking up. We've had a genealogy and actually we're going to get to that genealogy in a couple of weeks. But what Matthew is telling us here is that you know, Mary is pregnant and Joseph knows that he has not been with her, that their relationship has not yet been physically consummated. And so he plans to uh, do what in, in their day would have been a certificate of divorce. He plans to do it quietly. He doesn't want to embarrass her or bring shame on the family. And so we pick up in verse 20. Because an angel has, has intervened. God, knowing what Joseph is thinking, sends one of his messengers and says, Hey... Uh, Mary's done nothing wrong. You know, she's doing something for God and his kingdom, in so many words. And so verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Oh, church, let me read that again. He will save his people from their sins. Amen? Yeah. All this took place, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, at the end here of Matthew 1 and in Matthew chapter 2, we will see that every single one of those Old Testament prophecies is fulfilled. Every one of those prophecies that, uh, that I read this morning. Chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all his people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Well, Herod's a good guy, isn't he, church? He wants to go and worship worship Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And of course I say that with a heavy dose of sarcasm because we know that kings in the Bible didn't like the idea of another king taking over their throne. And so the idea that a king has come, that it has prompted foreign kings to show up and say, hey, we're looking for this king. We followed the star and we just want to pay him tribute. We bring gifts We bring glad tidings and we want to bow to him. And so Herod's like, yeah, I'm not liking this one bit. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, I've said it before, and it's worth repeating this morning, that... You know, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, there was a reason they didn't have Linus reading from Matthew's gospel, right? I mean, he read the birth narrative from Luke's gospel because Luke's gospel is like a Hallmark movie. Luke's gospel is happy. Luke's gospel, everybody's singing. Man, they are happy and they're joyed. I mean, you got Mary singing and you got the, the heavenly host is celebrating the birth of the Savior, and there is just pure joy all around. And Matthew, Matthew, I mean, he presents the drama side of things. And I can appreciate that. I'm someone who likes the heavier stuff. Because the heavier stuff is what reflects the life that we see around us, doesn't it, church? Because there are times when life is happy and it's joy and there's singing and laughter. But we know there's also times when life ain't going like we want it to go, right? There are times when life uh, seems to sort of kick us in the teeth, times when we think, man, how much, you know, how much can a person handle? And Matthew's gospel shows us that not everything went perfectly. And what we keep seeing here, though, is God on the throne intervening. 
God saying, it's okay. Uh, the devil made a move. I'm going to make a move. It's move and counter move. Punch and counter punch, if you will. And so, and so now, uh, he's, he's going to make sure that Herod doesn't get any intelligence uh, information from the Magi. That he's going to send them home by a completely different route. And they're going to bypass that king. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time, he had learned from the Magi. Then what he said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah. Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Because Herod decides to enact a form of genocide, essentially. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the to the district of Galilee, and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. And so their church family, a lengthy body of scripture for us to uh, look at this morning. But what we see is every one of those prophecies in the Hebrew Bible are fulfilled in the early chapters of Matthew's Gospel. What we see is that God is a God who keeps His promises. And those prophecies weren't from any one prophet, were they? Did you notice? We had Isaiah, we've had Jeremiah this morning, we've had one of the writers of Psalms, we've had Micah, we've had Hosea. We've had a variety of the prophets. And yet... All of those prophecies that were foretold about the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, are fulfilled right here. Why? Because our God, the one true God, keeps His promises. You know, I'm thinking about Joseph and the number of times that his plans changed. The number of times that a guy who just wanted to marry a girl, nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm just imagining he was a nice looking guy and she was as cute as could be. And he's just a guy who wanted to marry a girl. 
make an honest living, start a family, what pretty much most people want in life. And so now he hears that, wait, Mary's pregnant? Okay, I had a dream, and I was told by one of God's messengers that this is a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so, and then we're off and running. And we see the number of times that he's got to get up when? In the middle of the night, right? Under cover of darkness and make their escape somewhere. And even when he's initially told, it's okay to go back now. Well, then he hears that, well, uh, there's another person in the family of Herod and uh, this, this probably isn't going to be any better. So I'm going to go and make my home in a completely different place than which we had planned. And church family, that's what service to God looks like. Service to God often looks like I've got plans and God wants me to do something that I really hadn't intended on doing. But God was with them the entire time. I hope you see that. I hope you see that in Matthew is laid out for us. Yes, uh, it wasn't all singing and rosy. That there, there were people that wanted to kill this child. That there was a king who had a heart of absolute evil. To be able to wipe out a whole bunch, a couple years worth of infant boys simply so that he could then take away what he saw as a future threat to his throne and to his family. In church family, there is evil in the world. But I praise God that he gave us a prince of peace. From the words of Jesus in Luke 4, Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight. For the blind to set the oppressed free. In the book that I'm reading, Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, there's a section on peace. And it says, During his time on earth, Jesus restored peace everywhere he went. He calmed tumultuous storms. He brought healing to the sick. He raised the dead to life. He forgave sinners their sins. Jesus came to restore not just peace as we understand a ceasing of hostility, but a rich, full, abiding harmony of life. His first coming began this process of restoring peace between us and God. His second coming will bring a wholeness as he intended his creation to be when he first set the universe in motion. But Jesus' reign of peace is not reserved for his future kingdom. It begins here and now for all those who follow him.
The Prince of Peace brings us peace with God. The end of spiritual enmity and striving to secure God's favor through our good works as well as peace of mind and heart. A state of being at rest despite difficult circumstances because we know that God is in control. In fact, the very night Jesus was betrayed, in his last teaching moments with his disciples, Jesus promised them peace, not as the world offers it, but as only he can give it in John 14. No matter what would happen, they would rest and enjoy sweet fellowship with God, which would then create ripple effects in their relationships with the world around them. And that's what God is offering us, is peace. Not perfect circumstances. There are going to be trials, there are going to be difficult circumstances. But that even in the midst of pain and grief and suffering, we still have peace. We have peace because we have hope. Because our God is a God who keeps His promises. I love the term good news. That uh, he has anointed me to proclaim good news, what Jesus says. Good news is different than advice, right? And we get advice, whether that's medical advice or legal advice or advice from a friend. But advice is simply, this is what you need to do. Or if I were in your position, this is how I would handle it. Advice requires us to take action, doesn't it? The doctor gives you medical advice and it's up to us to change our lifestyle in order to take that advice. But when we hear good news, it's just simply that, church. It doesn't require us to do anything except to be grateful and accept that good news that God has given us a gift and it's up to us to just simply unwrap it and be grateful what a gift that was he is the prince of peace if you're with us this morning and you've not yet accepted that gift then we offer an invitation So you can make that change. There is a peace that surpasses understanding that is waiting for you in life if you simply accept Jesus as Lord. The waters of baptism await. If you're here this morning and would like us to pray over some concern that you have, we're here for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing. Praise God.